If you'll take your Bibles again and turn to with, with me to Mark chapter 15. And this morning we want to look at the message of the cross. The message of the cross. I think in uh, some ways we often become too accustomed to the cross. Uh, we see crosses almost every day of our lives. Many churches have them atop their steeples. Uh, we see them on necklaces or other pieces of jewelry. We even see them alongside the road as markers where someone died tragically in an automobile accident. I don't know if you've ever driven across the state of Illinois on I-70, but uh, we've been through that area a number of times, and you pass there a 198-foot cross at Effingham, Illinois. Uh, it's where I-70 and I-57 intersect. And it's not a marker for a car accident, but it was meant to be a very impressive testimony as you drive down the highway, uh, that is, if you're awake. And hopefully, if you're driving, you are awake. There are some occupants that are not always awake. But uh, we won't go into that. There is even uh, behind me right now, as I preach this message, a cross. You can't see it because of the uh, uh, screen that's down. And many times there are crosses on the front of pulpits. Uh, we have crosses that are lit up at night on our steeple. And uh, we're thankful for that, uh, that testimony there as well. And I'm not against seeing the cross. But like any other symbol... It sometimes loses its power in our lives because we become too familiar with it. We just don't even think about that when we see a cross. We don't think about what it means. And, some, and for some people it means one thing, and to another, other people it means something else, I'm sure. But sometimes we can become desensitized to the cross. Uh, think about this. For many, the cross is nothing more than a piece of jewelry that is used to adorn the ear or the neck. Uh, for some, the cross is an icon designed for worship. They kneel before the cross and they pray to it. Uh, some see the cross as an amulet that contains supernatural power and they might hang it over their bed or carry it around to ward off evil. But the cross... According to 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23, becomes, first of all, offensive to people. There Paul calls it a stumbling block. The word stumbling block comes from a Greek word skaldion, which means to trap or to snare. It came to mean something that trips up a person and causes them to fall. And we have our English word scandal from the Greek word there for stumbling block. But to the Jews, the cross was a scandal. Uh, they could not conceive of a Messiah being nailed to a cross. And they literally stumbled over the cross. Uh, the cross also, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 1.23, is foolishness. To some people, Paul use, uh, uses this uh, word to tell us uh, uh, that uh, 
For some people, it is foolishness. And that's a word that uh, comes from a Greek word which means, in our English, moron. And so it's moronic. The sophisticated Greeks looked at the Savior dying on a cross and they said, well, that's moronic foolishness. But to a few, according to this verse in 1 Corinthians, the cross is an object of wisdom and power. Paul goes on to say that in 1 Corinthians that those who have grasped the true message of the cross understand that it's not weak, it's not something to stumble over, it's not foolishness. It instead is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is the power of God because through the cross forever destroyed the kingdom of Satan and broke the grip of sin. It is the wisdom of God because in the cross God used a tool that neither man nor devil could ever foresee to accomplish salvation for his people. Had Satan known what Jesus would accomplish through the cross, he never would have pushed Jesus to the cross. But today, I would like to declare the message of the cross. It's not a weak message. It's not a foolish message. It's a message filled with awesome power and wisdom of an almighty God who loved us so much that he sent his son to die on that cross. And I trust the message of the cross will speak to your heart today. If you're saved, that you'll rejoice in what God has accomplished at the cross. If you're not saved, you really need to hear this message today. You say, well, I'm here, I'm listening. But do, are you really hearing it? or will you, will you take it and receive it? And that's what I encourage you to do. Notice with me, first of all, as we've read this passage, the message of torment. The message of the cross is a message of pain, suffering, and death. Three times we are told in these verses that Christ Jesus was crucified. Verse 20, verse 24 and 25. This means to uh, crucify, means to nail one to a stake. And the death Jesus died was a horrible, painful death. We get the English word excruciating from two Latin words, one uh, being ex, which uh, means out of, and cruciator, which means the cross. A death on the cross was so painful that it became associated with any pain that caused extreme suffering. I've heard several kinds of pain described as being excruciating. Maybe you've had an accident or a, an injury that caused excru excruciating pain. Well, those mothers that are here know what excruciating is in the birth of a child. Some of you perhaps have had a kidney stone. Uh, I'm thankful that I haven't yet, but some of you perhaps had that. Many, many, many of you uh, perhaps uh, bit your tongue. <laughs> that can be kind of excruciating. Uh, maybe sometimes we need to bite our tongues not say the things we say. There are other things that are excruciating. Certain surgeries have been described in that fashion. Uh, but if you would take the worst pain that you've ever experienced and multiply it 10,000 times, you might come close to experiencing the pain that Jesus endured on the cross. 
When Isaiah looked into the future and he saw the death of the Messiah, he described it in Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 5. He said this, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the sum of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet did did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded. For our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah also tells us his physical pain was unimaginable. Isaiah 52 and verse 14, As many were astonied at him, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And add to this the suffering that Jesus endured before he was nailed to the cross to die. We know that he was arrested. And he was tried and convicted and beaten by the temple guards. Uh, We saw that in chapter 14. Uh, We also see that uh, he was abused by Pilate's soldiers. He was scourged, he was beaten, he was spit upon, his beard was pulled out, he was crowned with thorns. And then he was sentenced to die. And he suffered as he carried his cross along uh, Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. Some have said it was like 650 yards long. And he carried the crossbar of of that cross probably 110 pounds. So why did, he, why did he endure this kind of death? Why? There's only one answer. It's the amazing love of God. His love for the lost. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8, But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This cross is not a trinket. It's not a trinket to be worn. It's not a, 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 an amulet that's to be used for our superstitions. It's not an idol to be worshipped. It's a symbol of God's love for us. And therefore, let us glory in His cross and praise the Lord for what He did for us. For it is the doorway into life for all who know Jesus Christ our Savior. Galatians 6, 14 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. It's a message of torment. Secondly, it's a message of tragedy. We find in verses 26 through 32, as Jesus hung on that cross and he gave his life for the lost, his enemies circled him like a flock of hungry vultures. 
They hated him so much that they even made fun of him and taunted him as he died. You look at the language of the Bible there in verses 20 and verse 31. He has the words mocked and mocking, which means to play with, carries the idea of making fun of a person with a desire to harm them. In verse 29, it says they were railing upon him. That means to blaspheme, to say evil things about a person. They wagged their heads at him. They taunted him. They told him to come down from the cross if he really was who he claimed to be. And he said, they said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. There in verse 31. And they may have been referring to him raising Lazarus from the dead. The religious leaders were guilty of mocking their Messiah as he died on the cross. <clears throat> so the tragedy in the cross is really seen in two different ways. First, it's seen in the attitude of the Jews. The attitude of the Jews. He had come into this world as their Messiah. He was the embodiment of all the Old Testament prophecies. He came to redeem them and to usher uh, them into the kingdom of God. They were looking for a conqueror not understanding that their king had to die before he could reign. And the cross was never plan B for the Lord. It was always plan A. Jesus entered this world for the purpose of going to the cross. The Jews could have received him, but they rejected him instead. They confirmed their rejection by, his word, by their words and their deeds. What a tragedy. It's also tragic because it brings the depravity of man clearly visible. The depravity of man is very clearly seen here. The true character of the human heart is revealed by the actions of the lost people at Calvary. Their actions remind us that man is hopeless apart from God's intervention. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 through 4 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. You see, your reaction to the cross this morning reveals the condition of your heart. If knowing what Jesus Christ suffered for you and for me doesn't do something to your heart, then that's a great tragedy. And thirdly, notice a message of transfer. We see this in verses 33 through 36. After man had done his best to ridicule, to belittle the Lord Jesus, God turned the lights out. It's as if God was saying, you have mocked me long enough. But during those hours of darkness, Jesus suffered the worst of his torments. For it was during these dark hours that your sins and my sins were transferred to him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of 
to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Ezekiel 18 and verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Psalm 9 and verse 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. You say, yes, those are, that's for the wicked. I'm not so bad. You're saying I'm wicked? I haven't done any wicked things. Let me remind you that the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Now you find here Mark's account is kind of by the clock. First three hours from nine until noon, the first three hours, man did his worst. Man was working. Jesus was suffering at the hands of man. Sin was doing all it could to destroy him. And then from noon to 3 p.m., darkness, and God did his best. God was working. Jesus suffered for man. He died for the sins of the world. He was making his soul an offering for sin. He was paying for the sins of the world and was made sin for us. Forsaken of God, and at the same time, God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What a paradox we find here. Because he paid the sinner's debt, those who place their trust in him for salvation are delivered from that debt of sin. They're delivered from the threat of hell. They're set free from the penalties that are stacked up against them. In fact, they get something better than that. Our sins are transferred to him. We're transferred to him at the cross. When we receive him into our hearts, his righteousness is transferred to us. And when the Lord looks at one of his redeemed children of God, he sees one who is able or who has been made holy, as righteous and as sinless as Jesus himself. Don't miss the message of the cross. If you're here today and you're lost and you're under the wrath of God, you're headed for hell. But you can be saved if you'll come to Jesus by faith. He'll take your sins away, he'll give you uh, his righteousness in return. It's a message of transfer. But then it's also a message of triumph. We see this in verses 37 and 38. These verses record the death of the Lord Jesus. And after six hours on the cross, he dismissed his spirit when he knew that the price for sin had been paid and God was eternally satisfied. Uh, by the way, you do know that the Jews did not kill Jesus, don't you? And the Romans didn't do it either. No one killed him. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And so sinners might be saved. He died when it was time for him to die. And he didn't die a second before or a second too late. The words of Jesus from the cross were not the words of a victim, but they were shouts of a victor. He did not say, I am finished. No, he says, it is finished. When Jesus died on the cross, his death signaled the defeat of three terrible enemies of lost humanity. First of all, his death signaled the defeat of Satan. When Jesus died on the cross, his death spelled the doom of Satan's dominion in this world. 
2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Hebrews 2 and verse 14, For as much as then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, and that is the devil. His death signaled the defeat of Satan. His death signaled the defeat of sin. When sin entered into the world, and it brought with it death and devastation and damnation. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Jesus forever did away with sin when he died on the cross. John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then thirdly, his death signaled the defeat of separatism, or separation, excuse me. The defeat of separation. Uh, sin had separated the sinner from God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. The death of Jesus broke down the wall of separation erected by sin and serves to bring those who trust him back into fellowship with God. Romans 5, 12, or 10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. It's interesting to look through the scriptures and find that Jesus is our daysman. What's a daysman? Well, it's a judge, an empire, an umpire, uh, someone who uh, would, would judge. Jesus is the judge. It's used there in Job 9 and verse 33. But he's not only a daysman, he's a mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So it was Jesus Christ who bridged the gap between us and God. The death of Jesus was not the tragedy it appeared on the surface. The death of Jesus was our moment of ultimate triumph. In his death, he conquered all the enemies that were destroying those who were trapped in their sins. And there uh, truly is victory in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a message of triumph. And then number five, it, it's a message of testimony. Verse 39, the cross of Jesus was far more than the death and the suffering and the blood. The cross of Jesus was a place of testimony. It's here where God made his greatest declaration of love for lost humanity. Christ's greatest work was accomplished at the cross. You remember when he raised Lazarus from the dead, he helped one man and his family. When he healed the lepers, he delivered the demoniacs, he opened the blind eyes and healed the disease, the twisted bodies. He was helping one person and maybe one family at a time. Even when he fed the 5,000, he was helping 5,000 men plus women and children. But when he died on the cross, 
Jesus was making a difference for every member of Adam's family who would look to him by faith. It wasn't just for one man. It was for whosoever will. He could have saved himself contrary to what others thought in verse 31 there, but he stayed on the cross to save sinners. His death was not in vain. The very day Jesus died, we know that a lost thief repented, trusted, and was saved. That same day, a hardened pagan Roman military officer was convicted and converted as he gazed upon the scene. That's what we read there in verse 39. It was many centuries later, but his death made a difference in my life. Never forget the day when he saved me by his grace. The salvation that he so freely extended and I so gladly received as a boy made it possible by the death, was made possible by the death of Jesus Christ on that cross. The cross of Christ still trumpets the love of God for lost sinners. And in our day, the testimony of the cross has become muted by the loud voices of this world and its pleasures. But those who will hear the testimony of the cross and will heed the message, you'll find power in that message. And so my question to you this morning, what is the cross to you? It's a piece of jewelry? Is it a religious symbol? Is it a trinket you hang over your bed to keep the devil away? Is it foolishness? Is it a stumbling block? Or is the cross the power of God unto salvation? And if you will heed the message of the cross, you'll find salvation is still available. You'll find that God can still save souls. He can still change eternal destinies and transform sinners into saints of God. And so I trust that we'll take heed to the message of the cross today. Let's pray.